In August of last year, there was a survey taken that says that 40% of Americans say that they have no one that they're close to. You just think about that for a second. Four out of every 10 American has no one that they're connected with or engaged with or friends with, no one that they're really close to. They, they may be like people who have a lot of folks around them, but they don't feel close to anyone. And I believe that one of the things that has really come out during these last 18 months to 20 months or however long it's been, I think one of the things that's really come out is the, how that isolation has affected people so profoundly. It's not anecdotal. It's a reality that in this isolated, broken world in which we're living right now, that it seems like every bad thing is up. Suicide, up. Depression, up. Drug and alcohol abuse, up. Physical abuse and spousal abuse, up. Have you seen the videos of people fighting on airplanes? Insanity. And I believe one of the root causes of all this crazy is that four out of ten Americans feel like they're not close to anyone. In a dark, broken, isolated world, God has planted first Norfolk this church to be different, to be different, to be a place where people can connect, to be a place where people can find relationship. Can I tell you that relationships are so essential? We know they're essential because that's how Scripture begins. I mean, this, the beginning of the story in the history of humanity, the first obstacle that had to be overcome was isolation. You know, we think, we go, you know, God created, it's good, and then we go straight to Genesis 3, and Adam and Eve sinned, and everything's bad. But you realize that in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 3-6, that there is another obstacle that God identifies and overcomes. In Genesis 2, it, it says that God made Adam, and, and, and after he made Adam, he said this, he said, it is not good for man to be alone, isolation. And so he created Eve and created a help me, someone that he could share life with. And we were created that way. Even after the fall in Genesis 3, we were created to connect together. We were created to have relationship together. And God has established this church to be countercultural in our world, to be a place where people can find life-giving relationships, soul-satisfying friendships, a family, this side of heaven that imitates the family of heaven. And that, do you realize that's what we're supposed to be? This, this church, that's who we are supposed to be? As we've been looking at this series of messages on we are family, and that sounds good, doesn't it? We are family. 
And we are. That is the truth of who we are. We are family. If you've been rescued by God's grace through faith in Christ, if you walked across the bridge that Christ's cross has built for you and you have turned from your sin, trusted in Jesus, you've been transformed from the inside out. You're now a new creation in Christ. Guess what? You're my brother. You're my sister. We are family. And God, by his spirit, has drawn you to this local expression of his broader family called First Norfolk. And he's planted you here on purpose so that you and I might connect together, so that we might not be the four out of ten, but rather we would be the six out of ten and say, yes, I have strong and vibrant relationship. And it's with my family called First Norfolk. In First Corinthians chapter uh, 12 that we're going to look at today, we, we see that God uh, really establishes a pattern for the church, and the church being this family. And, and, and he tells us how the church is supposed to operate. In 1 Corinthians 10, uh, verse 31, uh, Paul sums up one argument and leads into another argument about how the church is supposed to work and operate. And, and, and the last piece of, of 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31, he says, uh, whatever you do, whatever, whatever it is you're doing, whether you're eating or drinking or sleeping or dancing or, or, or whatever, whatever you do, whether you've gathered together on a Sunday morning in a room and you've and you committed yourself to worship the Lord, whatever you do, whether eating or drinking, do it all for the glory of God. And then he leads the church at Corinth, which was a hot dumpster fire mess. And he leads the church at Corinth to see how they're supposed to operate together as family. In spite of their division, in spite of their fighting, in spite of their, their, their schisms, he says, you're supposed, to, you're, you're, you're supposed to live for God's glory and live in such a way that, that you connect with one another and you care for one another. In chapter 11, he talks about worship and how, what worship is supposed to look like. He talks about communion, Lord's Supper, and uh, we're going to have communion, Lord's Supper, together the Sunday before Thanksgiving like we do every year. Um, so that's just a few weeks away. And then beginning in chapter 12, in verse 1, he talks about the spiritual gifts that we've been given, and he talks about uh, how we are to operate together as a family. He calls it a body in chapter 12, but he, he, he speaks to us about how we're to live together as family. And what I want us to see, and we're going to look at several verses. I can't take time to, uh, uh, to uh, preach the whole of chapter 12 or even a big section of chapter 12. That's a series in itself. But I want you to look at verses 24, the second part of verse 24 all the way to verse 26. And this is kind of the centerpiece that I want us to lean into today. second part of verse 24 begins a new sentence, and it says, but God composed the body. In verse 18, he says, God put the, put the body together as he pleased and each member in the body as he pleased. So what he's saying there is, is that God has put us together in all of our different parts and all of our differences and, and, and uh, uniquenesses. And we looked at this last week, how you're unique and I'm unique. We're different, right? You're not like I am and I'm not like you are. And, and, and yet those differences uh, make us stronger as a body. And so he's still here in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 12, God is still talking about those differences, how that God has taken all of us as different as we may be and combined us together in a harmonious whole so that we might serve his glory and be good for one another. 
So as we look at this, God composed the body, and then he says, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism, no division among you, among the body. That, that there should be no fighting in the body, but that members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, guys, we've been talking about this, and I, I, I know you know that I'm eat up with Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, really 14 through 21, and, and that's really become kind of thematic for my life right now. Uh, the, the 3, 20 and 21, you'll hear it at the end of the service as we uh, exit, but, but the, this idea that, that we are the theater for God's glory, that this church, First Norfolk, we are the theater for God's glory, the place where God's glory shines uh, through us and toward each other and toward a dark world. We are the theater for God's glory, the place where his beauty and his majesty and his holiness and his love come alive for us to share together and see together, but also for us to share with the world and for the world to see. We are the theater for God's glory. First Norfolk must be the theater for God's glory. And what we find in 1 Corinthians 12 is that how we care for one another, how we care for one another, sets the stage for us being the theater for God's glory. And God calls this family of faith called First Norfolk. He, he calls us to create a climate, a culture of caring for one another. And caring for one another, not, not just a sympathy card when things are tough and not just an a attaboy when things are good, but, but really caring for one another to to be connected to one another, to share life together, to understand what's going on in your life. You understand what's going on in mine, and together we do life. And the way that happens in our church, and not just, not just since I've been pastor here, but uh, since uh, some of you were in Sunday school in, at First Norfolk uh, when it was still in downtown, uh, the, the way the church called First Norfolk cares for one another. The way we create a culture of care in our church is through our life groups. It's through our life groups. It's, it's not through my preaching, as wonderful as it is, I'm sure. The way we create a culture of care is not, not through the songs we sing, as wonderful as they are. The way we create a culture of care in the church is through the relationships in our life groups. Do you know what the strength of our church is, has been uh, for our 200-year history? The strength of our church is not the pulpit. The strength of a church is not our music. The strength of the church is not our programs. The strength of a church is God working through our relationships. Our relationships, what, what ties us together. It's our relationships, soul-satisfying, life-giving relationships uh, sparked by the Spirit of God in our hearts uh, bringing us together so that we would care for one another. The strength of our church is our relationships, and those relationships come alive through our life groups. As we look at caring for one another, you're going to hear life group theme throughout this. Now, you might say, what is a life group? A life group is the small group structure of our church. If you're historically a Baptist person, that's Sunday school. In the history of our church, since I've been here, it was Sunday school, it was life-changing Bible study, and then it was just Bible study, and then it was Sunday morning Bible study, and now it's life group. And same stuff. It's life group. 
It's our small group structure, and this is the design that God has established in this church for us to create a culture of caring among us. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm not part of a life group. It shows. I don't mean that ugly. I really don't. It shows. When you're not a member of a life group, you're not connected to other people in the church through a life group, you feel disconnected, disengaged. Do you want to know what's held our church together through this silly thing, this pandemic? What's held our church together is the life groups. It's not the gathering, it's the life groups. Our gathering is still just a shell of what it used to be, right? And you, I hear that all the time. Oh, it's just what, it's not what it used to be. It is what it is. And we praise God for it. Do you know, do you know what we celebrate even more? It's our life groups. Life groups are where the care takes shape and form in our church. I'm a member of a life group text string, Uh, and and, uh, it's uh, about 19 guys somewhere in the room right now. uh, These 19 guys, and if you didn't know, I am part of that life group text stream. Some of y'all didn't know that, and now you're going to stop texting the way you used to text. I understand. (laughs) <clears throat> but I, I'm part of that text, and I rarely, I rarely comment. I've commented maybe twice in a year. You know, I, I rarely comment. But every day, I mean every single day, sometimes 30 or 40 times a day, but every day I am overwhelmed by how these men care for each other. Now, whether it's um, a family friend having a, a terrible accident and needing prayer support, or whether it's uh, I've got uh, goals at job, and I don't know if I'm going to hit it, and, and I, need, I need help, I need counsel, I need uh, prayer support. Or whether it's um, uh, my relationship with my spouse is, is off the rails and I need help, or my child is off the rails and I need help, and, or, or, or maybe it's just, man, I'm having a bad day, can somebody help me? And, and with each one of those encounters, each one of those moments, can I, can I tell you, these men surround each other with care and concern. They're not in competition with each other. Man, they're, they're doing life together. And that's, that's the strength of First Norfolk. That right there, that's, that's where First Norfolk shines. It's in those relationships. That's, that's what sets us up to be a theater for God's glory. So as we look at 1 Corinthians 12, and I just want to key into a couple of things, and then we're going to get to some applications. So really what I need for you to do, this is a, a different kind of message than I normally uh, deliver or share. I, need, I really need for you to get out your notes section on your phone app or get a pen and a piece of paper and start looking right now because I'm going, we're going to go through and we're going to have some specific application points that I really want you to lean into and take hold of and commit to. See, because... I really want our church to glorify God, don't you? I mean, I really do. I want want our church to be the place where God does the uh, infinitely above and beyond stuff that we could uh, even imagine. I I want this family uh, to be the theater for his glory so that the world, the seven cities of Hampton Roads, would begin to see what's happening at First Norfolk and, and see what's happening in you as a member of a part of this family. And they would say, man, what's going on? I need a part, a piece of that. I see something different in you. Of course, it's God. 
And these are the things that I, I pray for every day. And what, what sets the stage for is, is how we care for one another. All right? So, uh, just a couple of things, and then we'll get to application. First of all, um, God has gifted you in a sp- spiritual gifts in a supernatural way. He's given you every single person who is a follower of Jesus Christ. If you've been rescued by God's grace, if you walked across the bridge that Christ cross built for you into God's family, the moment you turned from your sin and trusted in Christ, he poured within you his Holy Spirit. And as he poured into you his Holy Spirit, he gifted you with specific supernatural spiritual gifts so that you might exercise those spiritual gifts in the family so that we might bring God glory and good for others. That's verse 7 of chapter 12. He says, he says the manifestation of the Spirit is for the profit of all. This, this exercising of the spiritual gift that God has given us, it, it's, it's a byproduct of giving God glory. Everything we do is for God's glory. So when we exercise this spiritual giftedness that he's created in us by his spirit, we exercise that spiritual gift not for our benefit, but we exercise that spiritual gift together in the context of this family for the glory of God and the good of all. You have been gifted. And in that gifting, you have been planted in this family on purpose so that together we might glorify God and bring good to all. Do you get it? You're important. That's the second piece I want you to do. You are vital to this church, to this family, to our mission. You're vital to God's glory. In this church and in any church, there is no room for an inferior complex or a superiority complex. That's what he's getting at in verse 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. He, he said, if the hand says to the foot, I'm not a foot, therefore I'm not a, uh, I'm not a member of the body, or the eye says to the ear, and I don't know if these are the right body parts, but the eye says to the ear, I'm not an ear, so I'm not part of the body. Um, it, are they really not part of the body? Well, that's silly. Of course they are. What God says is, look, you may not be an ear, but you're an eye, and I've given you this. I've made you an eye so that you might help the seeing of the church, of this body called First Norfolk, so that together we might bring God glory. Just because you're not a hand doesn't mean you're not important. There's no such thing as lesser than members of this body. And I, I, know that, I know that some of us feel inferior at different times. And, 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 and can, I, can I just throw that away? There's no such thing as lesser than members. Whatever your gifting is, it is a God gift. And if God has given you this gift and he's made you the way he's made you, understand he doesn't make no junk and he's going to use you together with all of us so that we can accomplish his purpose together. Stop. Stop living in covetousness, wanting to be somebody else, but live in gratitude and thankfulness for what God has made you. You are important. You're essential. There's no inferiority complex, but there's also no superiority 
complex either. Just because you got a microphone and are standing on a platform doesn't make you any better than anybody else. Next year, I told you next year we're going to do a series in the promises of God. We're also going to do a series through James. And I love James. I haven't preached James in 15 years, but um, uh, we're going to do a series in James. And can, can I tell you what James says? James says, do not show partiality. There's no one member who deserves more accolades than any other member. There's no one member who deserves special treatment than any other member. But we're all, this is true socialism, by the way, if you want. I get accused of being woke, so let me throw that out there. No, we are all one. There's, there, none of us are the head. That's Jesus Christ. All of us are members connected to him, and all of us have a function to fulfill. And there is no function that's one function that's greater than any other function. And you might think you're awful important because you can sing a pretty song or preach a fancy little sermon, but you're no, important, no more important than the person who has a gift of just praying for people in need. You're no more important than anyone else. None of us are. Now, that, again, that's, that's kind of what he's getting at. If you begin in verse 20, he says, uh, it, uh, it, there are many members, yet one body. Verse 21, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the, hand, uh, nor the uh, head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Are necessary. You're necessary. If we're going to bring glory to God, every person is essential. Every single one of us, Essential. My prayer is that you would see the value of your worth in the family of faith. That you would see it. That you would recognize and then you would exercise that spiritual gift with us. Um, He goes on, uh, verse 23, And those members of the body which we think are less honorable, or less on display may be a better way to say it, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. So uh, what he's saying is it, it, it doesn't matter if you're a mouth and you get to talk all the time or if you're a beating heart or just a valve to a beating heart and nobody ever sees you. They're both essential. I, I wonder how many of us would treat others differently when we begin to understand that we need each other. You, you realize I need you. You need me. You need the person to your left. You need the person to your right. We're family, and we have been created by the sovereign purpose of the living God to glorify him. And that means all of us operating together fulfilling the calling that his gifting demands. But again, this, one, th- this message is not about gifts. This message is about relationships and creating a culture of care. So w- where does care come in? Well, if we're going to value everyone, 
instead of fight those who are different than us, it's because we care for one another. Care is an essential ingredient in us acknowledging and living that everyone is important, everyone is valuable. So how, how do we develop this culture of care? How, how do we do it? How can you do it? Now, the temptation, and I'm getting ready, and this is where you're getting ready to take some notes, okay? So the temptation is going to be, well, Bill doesn't care for me like that. And Jim doesn't care for me like that. Henrietta doesn't care for me like that. You're going to talk, well, they don't care for me like that. I'm still all alone. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, get, don't get all um, pointing out toward everybody else and what they ought to do. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart today. And you make the commitment to begin today to care for others. See, the church needs caregivers and care receivers. And every one of us needs to be a caregiver and a care receiver. So how do we do that? How are we caregivers? And fulfilling our role in this body, in this family that God has created, each one of us valuing one another, how do we care for one another? Well, again, you look at this passage that, that, that we looked at, verse 24, 25, and 26. Um, verse 24, second part, God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, so that no schism, no division should be in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. So what, what is, how do we have the same care? Instead of fighting each other because we're different, how do we have the same care for one another? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to encourage one another. Encourage one another. Uh, encouragement is a... Um, um, encouragement is a term used in Scripture to describe how we come alongside someone else and do life with them. That we... Uh, take them by the hand, and we help them stay on track. We take them by the hand, and we give them support and strength. We take them by the hand, and uh, when they go through a valley, we're in the valley with them. And when they're on the mountaintop, we're on the mountaintop with them. Uh, the, the term that points to encouragement is a term that, that speaks to how we are supposed to be doing life together. Now, what, what Paul says here in verse 26 is if one member suffers, we all suffer with it. If one member is honored, we all rejoice with it. That's encouragement. To care for one another means that we commit to encourage one another. Our, just an example. If I'm doing a DIY project at my house, and in my, in my uh, enthusiasm in doing that DIY project, I'm, I have hammer and I have nail, and I have wood, but my hammer swings, and I miss nail, and I miss wood, and I hit finger. And I smash my finger, and I smash it so bad that it's flatter than it was before, and blood is oozing out the sides. When I smash my finger like that, the pain is unimaginable, unless you've done it, and then it's imaginable. Only my finger got hit, but my whole body stays up deep into the night to keep me company. 
The pain began with the finger, but the whole body shares in that pain. Do you know that's how this family must be? We share in the sufferings, but we also share in the rejoicing. I love to throw a good party. Actually, I don't. I love to be a good, no, I don't even like going to a party. But if I did, no, I, we, we all like to celebrate, but here's the goal. The goal is not celebrating my honor. The goal is celebrating your honor. Where I come alongside you and you've experienced a mountaintop and I want to join you on the summit and I want to sing honor and praise to God in celebration of what he's done in your life. When we start encouraging each other like that, then we begin to care for one another. And we care for one another in such a way that we bring glory to God together. By the way, when you're encouraging someone, it's hard to fight with someone. When you're, when you're encouraging, it's hard to debate our personal preferences. If we focus on encouragement, we start setting our path forward to bring God glory together as the body that he's created, different though we may be. So uh, if, if we're going uh, to care for one another, we've got to encourage one another. If we're going to encourage one another, here's the specific step I want you to take. Okay? Here's the specific step. Join a life group. If you're not in a life group, you're going to miss out on encouraging others in a meaningful way. You got to be part of a life group. And when you get in the life group, and some of you, most of you probably are in a life group, but once you're in the life group, okay, first you join the life group. If you're not in a life group, if you are in a life group, here's what you do exchange phone numbers and emails. And make a commitment every week. I'm going to connect with you. I'm going to call you. I'm going to text you. I'm going to email you. And I'm going to ask you a simple question. How you doing? What's going on? Let's begin sharing life together. And it happens in that small group of people where you can actually get a handle around the life that they're living and the things that they're experiencing. And you go out of your way. Move out of your box to encourage them. So we encourage one another. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we suffer with those who suffer. Okay? Second thing, we partner with one another. You partner with one another. This whole of 1 Corinthians 12 is about partnering together as the church. It, 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 the whole imagery of the body. Partnering together, partnering together, partnering together. The head needs the hand. The hand needs the elbow. The elbow needs the knee. The knee needs the ankle. The ankle needs the toe. The toe needs the muscle. The muscle needs the bone. Everything is working in cooperation, in partnership. So when we look at 1 Corinthians 12 to understand the significance of it, it's about partnership. I'm your partner. You're my partner. We partner together and as we partner together, we show care for one another. We partner together to accomplish God's purpose. We partner together to bring glory to God for the profit of all, for the good of all. Partnering together means that we don't look down on the elbow because it's not 
a fingertip. But rather, it means that we value the elbow even though I'm a fingertip. To partner together. You think of an athlete. If, 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 I don't know if you like soccer. I like soccer. I used to play soccer. I love soccer. So uh, if you like soccer, or even if you don't, just imagine a soccer player. The reason I pick soccer is because the, the majority of things you do as a soccer player with your feet. That's where the ball is. And you're not supposed to use your hands unless you're a goalie. Uh, you can use your head or your, you know, your torso or your knee or your thigh or whatever. But most of the stuff, most of the work is done with your feet. And, and if you're a really... Phenomenal soccer player, the way you can move the ball forward with your feet is an amazement. You, you watch these people and how they uh, maneuver and finagle that soccer ball, and you go, wow, that is amazing. But can I tell you, it's not just their feet that's operating there. It's also their ankles. It's also their toes. It's also their shin, their calves, their thighs. It's also their diaphragm and their core. It's also their heart and how it's beating. It's also their ears and what they're hearing and their eyes and what they're seeing. And all things in that soccer player, it's beyond just the feet and the ball. It's everything working in concert, partnering together to accomplish the goal. Friends, that's who we are. First Norfolk, that's who we are. All of us. Gifted differently, moving in different ways, but all of us joined together by the Spirit of God with the gifts that he's given to us so that we might bring glory to God and so that we might bring good for others. We partner together for the glory of God and the good of all. And so if you want to experience care and if you want to give care, one of the best ways is to join hands with somebody else and do something that's bigger than yourself. Again, if you're partnering with people, you're not fighting over your preferences. You're moving together to a grander, greater purpose, and that grander, greater purpose is the glory of God and the good for others. We partner together. And we experience care in that. By the way, somebody comes up to me and says, Eric, I really need your help to do A, B, or C. Will you join me in that effort? Do you know I'm encouraged by that? I'm, I'm valued by that request. Now, I'm not asking you to clean my house. I'm asking you to, I'm asking you to partner with me in a grand purpose to fulfill the design that the church, our church, has. So if we're going to partner together, here's, here, here's specific. All right, so we care for another. When we encourage, we care. When we care, we encourage. When we partner together, we care. When we care, we partner together. How do we partner together? If the specific in, uh, in, in encouraging one of those, join a life group and then uh, uh, exchange contact information, keep in touch with one another. Uh, the specific in partnering with one another is join a life group. If you're not part of a life group, get in a life group. Guys, I can't overemphasize how important it is to be connected with other believers in this family of faith so that you might care for one another, partner together for a grand purpose. All right, so you join a life group. And at the end of this worship gathering, if you're not part of a life group, you're going to go into the next, uh, to the next step station, and you're going to say, I'm not part of a life group, but I, I need to be because the preacher made me feel bad because I'm not part of a life group, but I'm going to be part of a life group, and, and they're going to help you get connected to a life group. And then the first time you meet, whether it's um, uh, next Sunday or whether it's sometime this week uh, between uh, Sunday and, and Sunday, you're, you're going to meet with that life group. When you get in the life group, here's what every life group needs to do. 
all right, to partner together. Every life group, here's the assignment. You ready? Identify one person that you know that is far from God, and the group, the life group, commit. We will do all that we can. We will pray for this person. We will uh, have fellowship with this person. We will uh, share the gospel with this person. We'll do whatever we can for as long as we have to until that person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. I know we do this with, uh, I have people in my, on my list, these are the people that I'm praying that they're far from God and I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with them, want them to come to Christ. But what would happen if every life group determined that we're gonna make this a team effort and we've identified one person, just one, and all of us, all five of us or 10 of us or 18 of us, we're going to join our hearts and our hands. We're going to do all that we can to help this one person who is far from God find life through Christ. Guys, I'm telling you, you will be cared for as you partner with others on a grander purpose. So we encourage one another, we partner with one another. And then the final thing, there's more to it, more in this passage, but it's all, I mean, I'm, I, they're telling me I'm, I'm over time, and I am. Uh, we protect one another. If I go to a baseball game, and my older brother lives in southeast Texas, and he went to the Houston Astros game yesterday. He's a Houston Astros fan. Bad day to go see the Houston Astros play the Boston Red Sox. They got slaughtered. But anyway, uh, he went to the game. He sent me a picture. It was fun. Suppose you go to a baseball game. doesn't have to be an, uh, a game like that. It could be uh, uh, the uh, Luggets, Nuggets, Lug Nuts could be the lug nuts t-ball uh, game, um, right? Could be the lug nuts, that's right. Could be the lug nuts, that's right. We got some people on the lug nuts. Um, suppose you're at the game and they hit a line drive and it comes straight for your face. What do you do? Automatically, what do you do? You move your hand to protect your nose. That's what a body does. It's just natural. We are the body of Christ, and we have the responsibility to help protect each other from the schemes of Satan and the deceitfulness of sin. We are the body, verse 27, we are the body. And each one of us members individually, but each member individually is called by Christ to help protect each other. None of us should be traveling the path of temptation alone, but God has given us this family so that you can put your hand in front of my nose and protect me from the onslaught of Satan's schemes and the deceitfulness of sin. And the reason we need each other to care for us in that way is because I can't see everything that you can see. I'd be standing up here, and a uh, guy with a machete comes up behind me. I don't see that guy with a machete, but you see. And there are some people out there I know are going to protect me. The same thing's true in our everyday journey as followers of Jesus. We, we don't see everything, but others around us can see. 
And they're supposed to help us, protect us. So uh, here's the specific step. How can I help protect one another? How can, I, how can I be engaged in that process? Well, get in a life group. Uh, join a life group. If you're not in a life group, get in a life group. And in that life group, whether you join today and meet for the first time this week or uh, whether you're part of a life group and you get together at your regular time, when you get in that life group, get in one-on-one with somebody. That one-on-one somebody that you can ask hard questions. See, part of protection is I'm going to ask you some hard questions and we're going to be honest with each other in answering those questions. And as you answer those questions and as I answer those questions, we're going to protect each other. I don't know if you know this, but John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley built his church on small groups. That, that was the innovation that he had, small groups. And those small groups were built around these key questions. Now, I'm about to read you some questions. I really want you to write them down. You need somebody in your life asking these questions of you, and you need somebody that you can ask these questions of. So uh, these questions get to the heart of the danger points in our life and the protection points in our life and our walk with Jesus gets to the, really to the care of our soul and the protection of our soul, all right? So here are the questions. The first question is, uh, have you been in a compromising situation this week? So you're sitting across from Bill And you say, Bill, we're going to go through these questions. Bill, have you been in a compromising situation this week? Second question. Have your financial dealings lacked integrity this week? Have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity this week? Third question. Have you viewed questionable things this week? Have you viewed questionable things this week? Next one. Have you spent quality time with God in prayer and Bible study this week? Next one. Have you prioritized time with your family this week? Next one. Have you fulfilled God's calling for your life this week? Last question. Second to last question. Have you shared the gospel with anyone this week? Here's the last question. Have you just lied to me? Listen. We live in a world that's filled with isolation, and the church is supposed to be a place of intimacy and connection, this church. And not just so that we can say we have better relationships than anybody else. We're supposed to be a place of intimacy and connection because 
as we care for one another, we set the stage for God's glory to shine brightly in us and through us. And we bless others as we go. It takes all of us to care for all of us. I know that sounds circular, but just think about it. We can't put together a team of 10 people to care for 2,000. It doesn't work like that. But if each one of us take ownership to care for one another, specifically through our life groups, all of us will care for all of us. So as we end today, and I've gone too far, so we're not going to sing any songs. Uh, As we end today, here's what we're going to do. If you are not part of a life group, if you're not part of a life group, you leave here today, you go straight to the next step station, and you say, I need to join a life group. Okay? If you're not a member of our church, but you know that you need to be, you go to our next step station, and you say, I need to join the church. I didn't really talk about how to come into a relationship with God, but if you're here today and everything just seems um, inane, you don't understand it, but you know that there's something missing in your life and you might have questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, you go to the next step station. And you say, I got some questions about Jesus. Today, my prayer for us as a church and for those who've gathered with us as guests My prayer is that you would no longer live an isolated, lonely life, but that you would connect with God's people here and have soul-satisfying, life-shaping relationships with one another so that we might bring glory to God for the profit of us all. Now, to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, infinitely above and beyond all that we ask or imagine. According to the power that's at work among us right now, to him be glory in this church by Christ Jesus to every generation forever and ever. Amen. God bless you all. Good morning.